0: we weren't even really talking about fiber like probably 50 years ago, definitely not really hundred years ago. We were eating meat, we were eating fat, we were eating maybe a bit of fruit, a little bit of vegetables, low toxicity, and everybody was good, everybody was happy, everybody was healthy, everybody was going to the toilet perfectly fine. Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of the Meat Medic podcast. Now, in today's episode, I am going to be doing another screen share. And today we are going to be looking at uh, this idea that processed food might not actually be bad for you. And uh, are they actually good for you? Now, (laughs) look, TLDR, no, they're not. But (laughs) uh, let's have a little look. All right so let's let's have a little look let's uh, let's share my screen again so today we're looking at this uh, this article from eatthis.com and i'll put a link in the description for the episode so make sure you check that out uh, so the title of this article is 10 processed foods that are actually good for you dietitians say uh, <laughs> the question is, is this actually accurate or not? So we're going to be having a little look at this. Now, the first thing I noticed straight away, this has been written by, uh, this Sarah Garone, which uh, I'm sure she's very lovely. I don't know this person. Um, NDTR. Now I actually had to look this up, what this actually is. And I found this on eatright.org. And this is a like kind of a first red flag, I suppose, in a way, um, is what is an NDTR? So a nutrition and dietetics technician registered brackets NDTR, um, often working in partnership with registered dietitian nutritionists, screen, evaluate, and educate patients, manage and prevent diseases, blah, 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 etc. So, I mean, first thing off, this kind of sounds like this is not a registered dietitian uh, that's writing this article. And to be fair, nutritionist is not, you know, recognized or, or, or registered, you know, term, uh, reserved term. So anyone, anyone can call themselves a nutritionist, but only certain people can call themselves registered dietitians. So that's kind of a first flag. This has been written by someone who isn't actually a dietitian who may not know that much actually about dietetics and nutrition, despite whatever, you know, training they've got. Um, And I'm not even sure where, you know, NDTR actually fits into, you know, the thing of, you know, with a dietitian. Are they kind of like physician's associates with doctors? I'm I'm not really sure exactly. It kind of reads like they're actually kind of like physician's associates with, with doctors. I'm not sure I would trust an article that's actually been written by a physician's associate on something medical so i'm not entirely sure i want to trust an article written by an ndtr on something nutrition based but anyway that's just a an aside um, let's have a little look at the article so the tagline is processed shouldn't be synonymous with bad um, nutrition experts again i'd <laughs> question if this person is an expert or not with their their qualifications. But anyway, nutrition experts say these minimally processed foods deserve a place in your diet. So let's have a little look. This was published a couple of months ago now. Uh, So let's just have a little read again. If you're watching on YouTube, hello. If you're listening in the car, I'll read out kind of the the, the important parts. So the words processed, this is from the article now, the words, quote unquote, processed food, are enough to strike fear into the hearts of many health-conscious consumers. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. In the last decade or so, we've all been taught to fear the dangers of eating foods that un- undergo a serious transformation from their original form, brackets, if they even had an original form. As far as we know, there's no such thing as a protein bar farm or an energy drink river, close brackets. That, To be fair, that is actually quite true. Um, still, it's possible that the pendulum has swung too far when it comes to attitude around processed food. Uh, that is probably true, actually. I would agree with that. Many experts have lately become encouraging people to demonize, not to demonize them, sorry, in one fell swoop. The fact is many, brackets, if not most, close brackets, very healthy foods uh, have to go through some process to reach our home kitchens. Again, I would agree with that. Unless you live on a self-sustaining farm, you'll likely need to eat processed foods as part of your regular diet. Yes, look, actually, I would entirely agree with that. Um, That is an absolutely, completely legitimate thing to say. All food, unless you are going out hunting yourself, making a fresh kill, you know, pulling the vegetables up out of the ground and basically eating them completely raw with dirt, everything on it, which I probably wouldn't advise, A, the vegetables and B, they're covered in dirt. There's some degree of processing that goes on. Uh, Even the meat, you know, of course, on a carnivore or an animal-based diet, a very meat-heavy diet, there's still gonna be some degree of processing. You know, that meat doesn't just kind of go from the farm into my mouth and then it's it's all good, it goes through some processing. It's obviously just very minimally processed food. And this is where we have to be, yeah, a little bit careful about the, the terminology that we're using. So pretty much all food has a degree of processing. And this is what this article is basically saying uh, to start with. And I think that's genuinely correct that there's always some sort of processing. The problem is, you know, what's the difference between minimally processed food and ultra processed food? Uh, and we'll come back to this. And this is where the article is going now, back on the screen share. This thing is to remember is that there's a difference between processed and ultra processed food, exactly what I've just said. Uh, processed food is simply one that's gone through some sort of change from farm to table. That could even literally be just washing or just, you know, cutting it up. Technically, it's still processing. And ultra processed are those that have been dramatically altered with the addition of artificial flavors and colors, extra sweeteners, preservatives, hydrogenated fats, flavors, colors, you know, etc. cetera. Um, It's these foods which have been primarily associated with adverse health outcomes like obesity and heart disease. Now, that's true to a certain extent, but I will disagree with that slightly. We'll come back to that. So we are cutting through the confusion around processed foods and the 10 options below, though technically processed, are actually good for you. Now, I will be putting that to the test slightly. So let's just get on with this article. So number one, whole wheat bread uh if you're watching on youtube there's some weird adverts on the side uh seven best foods for your orgasm uh interesting maybe we'll do a, <laughs> maybe we'll do another another episode on that one I'll, I'll have a little look let me know in the comments actually on youtube get in touch on social media at the meat medic or or mail at the if you want to email me uh do you want me to do you want to see me cover that article seven best foods for your orgasm let me know in the comments below uh all right let's get back to the article i might have to have a look at that one um okay all bread is technically processed no one's pulling whole loaves straight off a bread tree that is quite true the bread doesn't grow naturally but that doesn't mean you should avoid all bread now yeah I would kind of disagree with that actually um bread is not ideal uh when you choose a variety made with whole wheat okay this is where we're going to start immediately to get into some of what we call kind of greenwashing, which is basically using these kind of terms um i'm sure it's probably going to be coming up like organic and natural we'll have a look at the article as well i don't want to you know disagree with it before i've even read it um but yeah we talked about whole wheat straight away it's like okay oh okay like we're talking about the benefits of fiber microids micronutrients and a bit of protein what would she define i wonder as a bit of protein i'm not sure a bit is a psycho is a psychological term a scientific term I'm not sure BIT is a standard international unit. Now, please, if anyone out there is listening to this and wants to correct me on what a BIT actually is, sorry, I'm being slightly facetious facetious here, but I think it's important to actually say, you can't just say there's benefit because there's a BIT of protein. That is not a scientific term. Uh, This is not a a measure of anything that's actually in any way measurable. So you can't say this is healthy because there's a BIT of protein. this also completely ignores the fact that bread is absolutely full of protease inhibitors, but I'll come back to that one in a moment. Whole wheat bread, look, predominantly, I'm assuming this is just kind of standard flour. Um, it doesn't say otherwise, and that's generally what whole, whole wheat bread is going to be. The majority of the protein in this is actually going to be gluten, most of which we actually can't even digest. Anyone with celiac disease, of course, is going to definitely disagree with this article that whole wheat bread's good for them. So... If it's it's something like 85, I think, percent of the protein in bread is actually gluten that we can't actually access. Now, I'll have to fact check that. Please let me know in the comments if I've got that wrong. But it's it's about right, I think, 85 percent roughly. You know, that bit of protein is then reduced by 85 percent. I mean, what's 15 percent of a bit? I mean, yeah, who the hell knows? Then that's not even including things like protease inhibitors, uh, lectins, phytates, um, you know, oxalates, all these anti-nutrients. And I'm going to come on to that in a moment that will be further reducing the potential benefits of this supposedly amazing food. Fiber is another really interesting one. And again, I mean, look fiber, this is just kind of, it's not greenwashing, but you know, people talk about fiber like it's this unbelievably amazing thing that's like gonna be that, sorry, like the second coming of Jesus or something. Like fiber is not gonna save the world. Sorry, it's not. I'm sorry if I burst your bubble. Fiber is not the be all and end all, okay, of the human race. We weren't even really talking about fiber like probably 50 years ago definitely not really 100 years ago we were eating meat we were eating fat we were eating maybe a bit of fruit a little bit of vegetables low toxicity and everybody was good everybody was happy everybody was healthy everybody was going to the toilet perfectly fine until we stopped eating fat then we started to get a problem and i've used this analogy before on my channel you know let's think about um, A bowl of wheat bics and a, and a bowl of of uh, wheat wheat bics or wheat bics if it's in the wheat bics in your country or, or a bowl of butter, you know the bowl of wheat bics you leave it to go dry it just you leave it out overnight it goes rock solid absolutely solid that's what's happening in your colon, and you need to keep filling it with water or you need more and more and more fiber to kind of push it out, Um, and it just causes problems and the bowl of butter it's it's just it just stays soft it just stays absolutely soft there's really no problems with it and. Yeah, it's basically all good. So yeah, I don't think actually we should be fearing. Uh, I don't think we should be overly obsessing with fiber. Um, the other consideration with fiber is this idea that fiber feeds our gut bacteria, and yes, it probably does, but it's not selective, and that's important because we need it to. We want it to feed the good the good bacteria, not the bad. And this is a problem. It feeds bad bacteria as well. And it can potentially lead to things like SIBO small intestinal bacterial overgrowth which again if you like if you want to comment if you're on a video on that let me know in the comments down below on youtube um but SIBO is a big problem for people and it's something that is kind of ignored when we talk about fiber and this the fiber this is this, 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 just this amazing thing that like oh my god it's like the best thing ever and how did we not know this before and it's saving humanity it's really not it's really not um I want to talk a little bit about these anti-nutrients though I'm kind of rambling a little bit so I'm going to move on I want to talk about anti-nutrients and this is going to be relevant to a lot of this article actually I'm going to keep coming back to this idea of anti-nutrients and this is something that is like basically completely ignored in the kind of medical profession especially when it comes to nutrition dietetics um it's completely ignored with these anti-nutrients and this is a big 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 deal because you can't look at these things in isolation and say, bread has a bit of protein. (laughs) I kind of hung up on this bit. Um, You can't say, oh, it's got nutrients, so therefore it's good. No, can you actually access those nutrients? Can you access those things, the bit of protein that's in there? How much can you actually access the bioavailability? And what is it doing in your body? And this idea of these anti-nutrients, this is quite new to a lot of people, but this is something I talk about daily, With my patients honestly now i'm pretty much just all i'm talking to patients about now is oxalates all the time and uh we're going to talk a bit about oxalates in a moment but um hopefully sally Norton's going to be coming on the show fairly soon she has tentatively agreed so i'm hopefully locking her in soon so that'll be a really good episode because i talk to everybody about oxalates her book is amazing everybody should go out and buy her book it's absolutely fantastic uh i have a copy on my shelf somewhere hang on where is it uh there we go let me find her book here uh Oops, Toxic Superfoods by Sally Norton. Absolutely amazing book. Um, Reading this one at the moment as well, The Big Fat Surprise by Nina Tycholes. I apologise if I've said her name wrong. Um, Absolutely amazing book about the expose on kind of the the fat industry. But that's, again, slight aside. I'm going to be covering that in a later episode. So I want to talk a little bit about these anti-nutrients. So I found this really good article. I think it it summarises things pretty well. Um, I'll put a link in the description for the episode. So the Journal of Functional Foods uh in the el Salvia, um and it clinical of yeah functional foods and um basically uh this this title is anti-nutrients lectins goitrogens phytates and oxalates comma friends or foe so if you google uh anti-nutrients friends or foe or friend or foe, you'll actually find this article if you just google it um now i'm gonna not i gonna read the entire article because it's a bit long but i think it's a really good summary of anti-nutrients both some positive and negatives that's the interesting thing about anti-nutrients it's not just negative but for the most part they are and uh, and basically it covers these the, the main pot topics here lectins phytates cortogens oxalates and a little bit about plant-based diets in general so it's a really good it's a really good article and it's definitely worth reading but these anti-nutrients are very very real and they really can cause problems um you know as it says here plants also possess i'm going to highlight it here plants also possess a group of substances known as anti-nutrients with a potential deleterious effect uh anti-nutrients such as lectins uh glucoside uh, uh, glucosinolates phytates hard word), oxalates tannins and saponins among others appear as a result of defense mechanisms with which plants protect themselves from the surrounding environment. anti-nutrients are plant compounds which have been traditionally considered harmful to health due to their potential to limit the bioavailability of essential nutrients. Now that is a really important point that is very 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 commonly ignored and that's a problem. When you ignore things you get issues. So anti-nutrients are very important and they reduce the bioavailability of your food. Basically these anti are these, uh, um, you know, uh all these these bits of protein in these micronutrients they also cause a lot of other problems and I'm going to come back to this in another episode I'm going to do a big big episode on on oxalates so make sure you stay tuned for that one uh hit subscribe if you're not already subscribed on YouTube make sure you do follow me on your favorite podcast platform um these also cause more problems though than just anti-nutrients they don't just block the absorption they also cause other issues And I want to bring up, I'm going to put these in the the, um, uh, description. We'll come back to to lentils and and oxalates in a moment. But I want to just have a little quick look at this article from Harvard, which I'm not the biggest fan of, but I think this is a decent article on lectins. Uh, Also known as an anti-nutrient, as it says here, Uh, they've received much attention due to popular media and fad diet books, citing lectins as a major cause for obesity, chronic inflammation and autoimmune diseases. Uh, sorry that was chronic inflammation it might have sounded like I said colonic it also causes colonic inflammation as well Um, they're found in all plants but raw legumes beans lentils peas soybeans peanuts and whole grains like wheat contain the highest amount of lectins so is there any truth behind the claims now I'm not going to read this entire article the whole episode in itself but basically yes lectins can have problems lectins are proteins which bind to uh, carbohydrates and they can cause all sorts of problems, and they are uh, definitely causes of things like leaky gut syndrome, um, IBS, uh, possibly SIBO, small intestinal bowel over bacterial overgrowth, and yeah, they really can cause a lot of issues. And I think it's Dr. Berg that talks a lot about lectins, if I'm mistaken. I apologize, Dr. Berg, I'm butchering your work. Um, but these lectins are very, very um, important, and they can cause all sorts of problems. And the most common example, probably we know of, is kidney beans, and that's what the uh, the picture here is on the Harvard Health website is kidney beans now do not do this at home big disclaimer do not do this but if you ate raw kidney beans you could actually probably die because of the lectins and the oxalates in those kidney beans this is why it's really important again do not do that at home please do not do that um it's really important to cook kidney beans because if you don't you can have massive problems with these lectins cooking and soaking will reduce lectins because lectins are proteins they will denature if you cook them long enough and high enough so, so kidney beans should be cooked at a high heat for a long time not just slow cooked although slow cooking can destroy some other uh, lectins cooking doesn't reduce oxalates though and that's a big problem and in fact if we actually look at this article is a i use this a lot with my patients Uh, i'm still in the process of making my own article for this but um from it's uh, stjoes.ca and if i'll put the link in the description again for the episode if we just look at spinach here quickly so spinach cooked half a cup is 755 milligrams of oxalates spinach raw one cup is 656 milligrams so cooking the spinach actually increases the oxalate content and this is a common misconception that cooking detoxifies food. It actually makes spinach worse. It will worsen oxalates, which is a big problem, but it will, will reduce lectins. Lectins can also be reduced if you soak food. And the same with oxalates as well. If you soak it, if you blanch it, it the oxalates can kind of be sucked out into the water and then that water can be discarded. Um and in fact, actually the a consultation recently with a patient who, uh, um, if he's just listening to the episode, hello, Um, he's a bush tucker chef and, uh, here in Australia. And I was talking to him about all these other issues he had, and I mentioned these oxalates and he said, oh yeah, I know about oxalates. And then I I was like, oh, yeah, maybe that's my issue. Ah, yes. So we talked about oxalates and he said, yeah, he actually knew a lot about oxalates and, you know, he would actually, you know, he would normally advise people to, to soak, you know, some food, um, herbs and things that he picked from the ground, vegetables and so on. I can't remember exactly which ones we was talking about, but native to Australia, and he was saying that basically, you know, you have to soak them for like three days to actually detoxify them so that you can actually eat them and not basically get sick and die. And that is one of the issues with these anti-nutrients. So lexins are a big anti-nutrient as well. Um, and that is an issue. So Yeah, I mean, number one, straight away, I've rambled a little bit, but I think it's important. I'll go through them a little bit quicker from now on. But whole wheat bread, I would disagree that this is healthy for you. I don't think it's healthy. A bit of protein is not a scientific amount. It's not a standard international unit. And most of that you're not even going to be getting um canned or frozen lentils now again this is going to be the same thing with the lectins the oxalates. lentils and so we're going to back down to this list here so let me just find lentils on here lentils are a reasonable source of oxalates one cup of lentil soup being 39 milligrams now I'm assuming that's lentils are just reasonably high as well perhaps they might not be I'm maybe wrong let me know in the comments below if I'm wrong but I'm pretty sure I'm not uh, lentils are going to be full of oxalates full of probably lectins and i'm not sure about phytates off the top of my head but other issues as well plant based protein back to the article plant based protein is all the rage these days and it's easy to see why plant foods like lentils not only offer plenty of protein but also stock you up on fiber folate again fiber magnesium manganese and other important nutrients blah 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 um again like i would disagree entirely with that um plant based protein is really not all the rage it's popular amongst certain health individuals but when we look at things like veganism and i'll do another episode on this veganism actually you just have to look at the google searches it's really dropping down people like vegans are dropping like flies people are dropping out of eating plant-based protein because it's not giving them the benefits Uh, and it's giving them problems which is a bad bad thing again full of full of lectins full of oxalates full of these anti-nutrients and i would argue that you're not going to be getting a good source of protein from this from these lentils also i mean jesus have you eaten lentils they make you fart like crazy (laughs) i mean these like the vegans are talking about cows you know cow farts killing the planet um and yet they want us to eat lentils and all these other you know beans and everything that's just going to make you fart like an absolute bloody i don't know what farts a lot (laughs) worse than a cow fart um so again i would disagree that lentils are a good a good source of protein i really would very much disagree with that Uh, again it says down here at six grams of fiber 10 grams of protein 21 grams of complex carbs per half cup of serving this little legume makes the perfect addition to soup salads blah 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 i would disagree with that entirely again fiber i don't think we really need fiber particularly 10 grams of protein protein isn't really that high at all uh and uh, and 21 given that we should be eating at least about one gram per centimeter of body height is a pretty reasonable guide uh most people chronically under eat protein most of that protein you're not even going to be getting access to because it's not even going to be bioavailable. so I would very much disagree with this with this article straight off uh again promote regular digestion I mean really lentils and good digestion I mean you gotta be kidding me really you really have to be kidding me uh okay yogurt uh yogurt is processed food absolutely that is true it is a processed food um processing this isn't we're get into the nuts of the article the nuts and bolts of the article yeah processing isn't inherently bad just most of the food on this list is pretty terrible yogurt definitely agree i think yogurt's great absolutely no problem with that i have a lot of greek yogurt uh absolutely fine i'm really absolutely love that a little bit of honey in there absolutely perfect maybe a little bit of low oxalate fruit Uh, The process of turning cow's milk into a thick, creamy dairy, uh, you know, dairy treat takes time. Temperature added bacterial cultures. Yes, it is a processed food. Uh, Look for plain yogurt with less than 12 grams of sugar per serving. Add your own fresh fruit or nuts. I would very much disagree with nuts, full of lectins, full of phytates, full of oxalates. Definitely not a good thing. But the yogurt, I would definitely agree, can be very, very good for us. Uh, Number four, dried fruit these come in a package and are sold next to candy bars. Does that mean dried fruits are too processed to be healthy? Nope. Though they may not have the water content of fresh apples or berries, dried fruits may have just as many nutrients. In fact, they sometimes contain more fiber, there's fiber again, and anti antioxidants than fresh fruits, since they are more of them per serving. That's from the article, not my words. So yes, look, some of this is actually true, uh, that they, you know, often sold next to, you know, packaged foods and sweets and so on candy bars etc that should probably tell you something they're in the same section often as like sugary treats it should kind of tell you something i actually don't have a bag here unfortunately we actually have a bag of uh, dried fruit in our house that we bought a little while ago and it's been we've been slowly getting through it probably should have just thrown it out to be honest i wish i had it to show you but it's actually got um seed oils and it's got um added sugar in in the fruit that is an issue why are we adding seed oils to fruit probably as some sort of preservative i mean let me know in the comments on youtube get in touch on social media if you know why we are adding these things but this is a problem that we're actually adding these these things here and um yeah that is basically a a problem um often it has things like added high fructose corn syrup as well i've actually just pulled up on the other page screen here I've actually pulled up a an image here. Now I'm going to have to try and zoom in a little bit. And I don't know if people going be able to read this, but I'm just going to read the ingredients. This is for um Woolworths mixed fruit. Woolworths is a supermarket here in um uh, in Australia. And so mixed fruit sultanas 45%, raisins 29%, currants 14%, nothing terribly bad about those. Uh citrus peel 10%, orange and lemon. Okay, fine. Then we get to glucose fructose syrup. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about here, glucose fructose syrup is another word for high fructose corn syrup. Why are we adding sugar to fruit? Straight off, this is not good. And this is supposedly dried fruit that they're saying is really good for us. It's then got preservatives added, potassium sorbate, sulfur dioxide, sulfites, acidity regulator, citric acid, and the last ingredient is cottonseed oil. (laughs) Why are we adding seed oils to dried fruit? I would very much disagree that dried fruit is a good snack. I don't think it is. I think it's pretty terrible for you. And I would very much disagree that this is a good thing. Now, if you can find one without those crap added, by all means, knock yourself out with dried fruit. But I think on the whole, most are going to be pretty much like this. Um, The equivalent with eating, eating the whole apple, the article says, I'm not sure that's really quite true. Now moving on number five, frozen whole grain waffles. Now again, back to the whole grain. I'm not sure I'd be suggesting that these are very good um it talks about refined flour not being the greatest choice for breakfast but i would actually slightly disagree with that because when you take out when you process flour you actually take out a lot of these anti-nutrients you take out the some of the lectins you take out the oxalates you take out the phytates a lot of these things are in the 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 shell or the you know the outer kind of surface the bran basically contains a lot of those anti-nutrients and this is the same for a lot of fruits uh, and things as well seeds etc it's all on the outside Uh, or a lot of it's on the outside if you can take that off actually that's not necessarily a bad thing um so i would actually slightly disagree that refined flour is actually worse than whole flour it might actually potentially be better for you Um, again this idea that fiber can kind of slow down poison absorption do you need that if you're not eating the poison at all i don't know Do you, if you're not eating the poison, do you need to be slowing down the absorption? I'm not convinced of that. Um, These things are saying they're convenient. Yes, look, they're convenient, they're versatile. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. But I would argue that frozen waffles from a pack, probably not the best. I would suggest get a waffle maker, get a pie maker, make some chaffles if you're not sure what chaffles are just google them um pretty easy recipe carnivore waffles basically uh pretty much just eggs and eggs and cheese i think it is i actually don't have a waffle maker here or a pie maker here we've got a tiny crappy house (laughs) the rental while we're building our house and uh hopefully we'll get one at one point we can make some chaffles so google chaffles make chaffles absolutely great i would not be buying frozen waffles uh popcorn okay i think you might be starting to stretch this article a little bit if you're really trying to convince people that popcorn is actually healthy for them um buttery microwave popcorn is often a source of hidden trans fats there you go (laughs) you've literally said that popcorn's not good for people why are you saying it might be good for them um artificial flavors again pretty bad you know putting it squarely in ultra processed territory pretty pretty bad for you plain or lightly salted popcorn is far less processed and actually has quite a few health benefits. Again, I would very much argue popcorn is not a healthy food. Is it the worst thing in the world? No, it's probably not. But is it healthy for you? I I think would disagree. Uh, the idea again, look, all loaded with fiber. Again, we come back to fiber. God, this obsession with fiber. Jeez, it's crazy. Um, And only 100 calories for three cups, right? Okay, so what are you going to do? Eat like three cups of popcorn a day and that's your whole daily meal intake? Like, no, why are we even talking about calories? Like, who cares about calories? Like, you have to eat actual food. (laughs) You can't just go on calories, like 100 calories. Who the hell cares? Like, this is a form of basically greenwashing where they're saying, who cares about the calories? you know, or this is really low calorie, sorry, who cares about all the other crap that we're putting in food? It's really low calorie. So it's really good for you. You're going to lose weight and you're going to be healthy if you eat low calorie. No, you won't. It's full of garbage. It's full of shit. You're not going to be healthy. Um, Hummus. Uh, Hummus may be processed, but it's still a simple, nutritious food. Yes, it's simple. Yes, it's processed. Is it nutritious though? I would disagree. Hummus is made primarily of garbanzo beans and olive oil, according to this article. Now, I always thought hummus was made from chickpeas primarily. Maybe it's just the type of hummus I'm used to. I don't really know. Look, I actually quite like hummus as a as a flavor, but I don't eat it now because it's absolutely chocked full of lectins, phytates, oxalates, all this terrible, terrible, terrible anti nutrients uh, and the problems they cause. Again, olive oil. I would really I put olive oils in the category of seed oils. I'm sorry. I know people on YouTube are going to be going mental. I'm sorry. Olive oil is not that great for you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that this burst your bubble. It's not that good for you. I would put it in the same category as seed oils because that's just the reality that most of these are not good for you. Uh, The production of olive oil, the idea of olive oil is great. The reality is that it's pretty terrible for the most part. And the same with avocado oil, that's even worse. Again, this obsession with fiber, with fiber 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 and protein again like we don't even don't even know how much protein this even has uh moving on soy milk i mean really soy come on i mean soy is not good for you oh my god can we just please get over this obsession with soy it is not good for you um the article says when it comes to plant based non dairy milks okay you can't have a plant based milk you you can't you can't milk an almond You know what do you get get the tiny little almond nipples and start milking (laughs) like no almonds don't have nipples oats don't have nipples coconuts don't have nipples soy doesn't have nipples like you can't milk a soy you can't milk an almond i'm sorry but this is ridiculous it's gonna be full of chemical garbage if you actually look at the ingredients let me just have a little look here. I'm going to pull this up on again the Woolworths. I'm going to have a look at Oatly here, uh, if I can get rid of this. Uh, I'm not sure what's happening here. So let's just have a little look at Oatly, uh, Oatly milk, and see what kind of ingredients this is. This has got. I mean, basically, it's just pretty, pretty damn garbage. Um, I actually put a, a post up on my Instagram not that long ago, and they basically say on the back of the packet, you know, don't look at the ingredients. I think if anything's telling you not to look at the ingredients, like that's that's pretty damn bad. Like that's that's pretty bad. You shouldn't be having to tell someone to don't look at the ingredients. This thing doesn't even show the ingredients here. Um anyway, like, this pretty bad basically the ingredients for for oatly milk. Um soy milk is really no better. It's absolutely terrible. My god, it's just the worst. Anyone that doesn't know that soy is not good, I really they need to check their new, their nutritional information. I'm sorry. Sorry, but you really do. Um, Moving on, number nine, we're getting to the end now, canned fish. Now, look, canned fish actually is not terrible for you, especially small fish like sardines. I know people are on about the sardine fast. It's kind of lost its trend again. Everyone's on about that for a long time. I haven't done the sardine fast, if you want me to do an episode on that, let me know in the comments, I'll do an episode on sardine fast, but it's kind of lost a bit of trend now, so I'm not sure anyone's that bothered about it. Um, Canned fish can be really good, and I do have some occasional canned fish, although I very much haven't eaten that in the last year. My concern with canned fish is the mercury, and I'm just going to pull up this article here, um, risk of mercury ingestion from canned fish in Poland, and I'm just using the abstract here. And I highlighted here, the study revealed that none of canned fish, again, I'll put the link in the description, none of the canned fish exceeded the acceptable levels set by the FAO and the WHO. Now that's important, but the question is, what does that mean? So that means individually, none of the canned fish exceeded the acceptable levels set by the World Health Organization and the FAO. I'm not sure what the FAO is here in this context. I assume it's some sort of body that's regulating these things. Uh, maybe in poland um the highest amount of mercury recorded was for canned tuna we know that's likely to be the case things like swordfish and shark are even higher things like salmon the smaller the fish generally the less mercury so sardines and mackerel and so on pretty small fish they're generally not that much of an issue the problem i have with this statement is this really means that the canned fish alone doesn't exceed the levels by itself it does go on to Say that you could probably eat 1.8 cans of fish with the highest mean mercury content and that shouldn't pose a risk to consumers now i would argue really any mercury is not good i don't want to be like skirting around and just saying well you know what i'm just under the, the limit so i'm probably fine no i think that's actually not very very sensible um the issue with this is that what about all the other food like things like kale that like preferentially i think it preferentially takes up mercury from the soil some weird gene in kale kale's bullshit anyway to quote Paul Saladino um but that's an aside there like I would argue that this is not a good thing to be having these high mercury levels as well as other potential heavy metals and then you get into the realm of like microplastics and all these other things with fish which again are really not ideal so I'd be I'd be a bit cautious about canned fish I'd probably maybe stick to one a day one one a week sorry at, at most um even less than that to be perfectly honest um moving on and yes look okay fish is an excellent source for omega-3s yes that's great that's fine but meat is a better source in my opinion of omega-3s and those saturated fats we also want now last in the number 10 in the article bean based pasta now again look basically i'm going to say it again they're on about as a okay i'm just going to read the article here so as a pediatric dietitian a mom of three one of my favorite ways to help my kids meet their needs for protein and fiber is to use bean and legume based pasta says this dietitian again look i would argue that that is not a good source of protein the bioavailability is actually going to be quite low and you're not going to be getting proper amounts of protein into your kids yes it might technically be a complete protein um some beans are complete proteins, like some wheat, like buckwheat, for example. Soy technically is a complete protein, as far as I'm aware, but what is the bioavailability, as well as the other issues? Bean-based pasta is going to be full of anti-nutrients, lectins, oxalates, phytates, other antinutrients, just like this article says here. Again, not good for you. So I've kind of rambled a little bit. Hopefully I haven't rambled too much. Um, I think the idea here, I get where the article's coming from, and it's saying... We shouldn't just demonize any kind of processing and we should look at what the food actually is and i would 100 percent, absolutely agree with that i do not have a problem with that whatsoever what i do have a problem with though is saying that um processed food can be good for you and some ultra processed food can even be good for you and they're even kind of trying to, I saw an article the other day. I can't find it now. I couldn't find it for the episode, but they're basically saying they want to try and redefine what they call ultra processed food and essentially kind of downgrade it, like shifting the goalposts, you know, and basically saying, well, as long as it's not ultra, ultra, ultra processed, then it's fine. Don't worry about ultra processed food because it's not ultra, ultra processed, you know? And it's like, really? Come on. Stop bullshitting people. Ultra-processed is ultra-processed. You can't just shift the goalposts and say, well, it's not ultra-ultra-processed, you know? Stop making this garbage food and then we wouldn't have this problem. We wouldn't have to redefine anything. My suggestion is avoid ultra-processed food like the plague, avoid CEDLs like the plague, avoid anti-nutrients like the plague, especially oxalates. They are the biggest anti-nutrient going. Again, I'm going to do another episode on this in more detail make sure you subscribe for that and uh, let me know in the comments down below if you uh, are getting how you're getting on with oxalates if you have an issue with oxalates in your diet and whether they have been a useful to you to take out of your diet most of what i talk about all day now really is just oxalates my patients are probably getting really bored with it but it's really making their lives a lot better so i'm going to keep talking about it so i think really i've rambled a little bit too much now i'm going to cut it cut it close soon um antinutrients are a big, big deal. And this is part of the problem with this kind of processed food and this idea of greenwashing and saying it's all good for you because fiber is amazing, organic, everything, and so on. Antinutrients are a big problem. Processed food is a big problem. And I don't think we can be shifting the goalposts and saying, well, as long as it's not maximally processed, then it's probably okay. No, we really shouldn't be eating processed food. We should be sticking to a whole food, meat-based, low toxicity diet, which means basically meat, Eggs, maybe a little bit of fish and seafood. Bearing in mind heavy metals and microplastics, like I've spoken about. Dairy, maybe some fruit. Probably low toxicity fruit like strawberries, blueberries, things like that. Melon, for example, watermelon. Had some watermelon tonight. Absolutely delicious. Haven't had it in ages. Oranges are not particularly high in uh, in, in oxalates, and of course some vitamin C there as well. um And basically, low to no vegetables. If you really have to eat some vegetables, make them very low toxicity. Um, but that's really my closing comments, guys. So thank you very much for listening to me rambling. If you've got this far, I appreciate it. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube. Follow me on social media at The Meat Medic. Get in touch with your concerns around processed food and anti-nutrients and whether, what your experiences have been. I'd love to know. Let me know in the comments on YouTube, of course. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it to your friends. Spread the word about The Meat Medic, myself, and how we can try and improve people's lives through proper nutrition. Thank you very much, guys, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for this. Li- Thank you for listening to this episode of the Meat Medic podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help to spread the word that how how we can improve mental and physical health through diet and nutrition. If you are imp- interested in improving your own, okay, let's just re-record that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Meat Medic podcast. If you found this episode useful, please leave a 5-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help out the channel to grow. If you have found this useful and you want to improve your physical and mental health further, please do check out my website themeatmedic.com, where you can find all my ebooks are currently 50% off with the code 50off. That's code 50off 50off o w f for 50% off all ebooks. Take care, thank you, see you in the next episode.